you're listening to I Might Be Wrong, a podcast hosted by myself, Rich Needham, and my co-host, Henry Salmon. Welcome, you're listening to I Might Be Wrong. I'm Rich. And I'm Henry. How are you today? Very well. I was going to talk about the football again, but that would reveal <laughs> a look behind the curtain that we're recording back to back on the uh, the other episode, so um, maybe I should just shut up. Well, you've got the house to yourself and the pets for the day, so we, we thought we'd take advantage, get a couple done. Make the most of it. Absolutely. And who are we, I was going to say, who are we taking advantage of, but that sounds a little <laughs> bit weird. Um, w- which album are we going to discuss today? I have decided that we should discuss Maximo Park's debut, A Certain Trigger. A Certain Trigger. Wow. Okay. This is a bit of a blast from the past to me. Yes. What made you pick this album? Uh, I I love it. We talked about Block Party, oh God, a couple of months ago now, and that triggered me to listen to this album a bit more because it's got the same urgent, edgy sound to it that Block Party have, although I would suggest that it's a bit more warm as a sound, where Block Party's a bit more paranoid and isolated and cold, if that makes sense. Before you tell us about the the band themselves... They released this album in the noughties and we've gone over this a few times about the the, the death of indie and just <laughs> music released around this period being just a bit contrived and a bit shit. So Maximo Park have potentially been accused of that in the past. Is this album kind of lumped in with that, that bucket of, what did you call it, landfill indie? <laughs> yeah, that's the general term that seems to get thrown around for it. Uh, I mean, it it came out at the same time, but I mean, that's like saying that the Marshall Mathers LP was shit because it came out in the middle of the pop princess era and in, in the late 90s, early thousands. It's yes, it's in that genre, but like anything, you're always going to have good examples and bad examples. And for me, their first two albums are really, really great albums. They're just interesting. They're more, they're more inventive. They're less indie by numbers than a lot of the other stuff that was out at the time and the thing that sets that apart for me is the fact that I can go back and listen to these albums anytime and they don't sound dated whereas so much from that time does sound really dated you think about bands like Foles and Kasabian and Dirty Pretty Things do you ever go back and listen to those? Kasabian oh I didn't at the time (laughs) I was not a Kasabian fan um, but that's probably one for another day who are they who are Maxime Park? So Maximo Park, they're an English alt-rock band, alt-indie band, I guess. They formed in Newcastle in 2000, and they consist of Paul Smith on vocals, Duncan Lloyd on guitar, and Tom English on drums, with Archis Tiku and Lucas Waller having left the band in 2014 and 2019. The band was originally created by Duncan Lloyd, and allegedly is named after Maximo Gomez Park, in Cuba I think but that's a fact that was listed on Wikipedia with a citation needed flag so I don't know how genuine that is but I couldn't find anything else out about the name so we'll go with that awesome originally Park and TQ were on vocals but they wanted to focus on writing songs so Smith got brought in because the then girlfriend of drummer Tom English noticed that his friend Tom Smith was singing along to Stevie Wonder's Superstition. And there's a brilliant quote around this. When he first joined, we didn't know if he could sing. 
just that he was a lunatic jumping around in a suit it felt like the last piece of a jigsaw <laughs> a bit like bez with his maracas yeah exactly and this is one of the things is i love his voice because he doesn't americanize the way he sings you couldn't hear that he's from newcastle yes and i couldn't work out where the twang was for a long time right and it doesn't sound like the tune. He's not got this kind of thick Newcastle accent, Newcastle accent, but it just creates a voice that's different and your ears kind of want to listen to it more to work out quite what he's trying to say. Yeah. And these guys mostly met in the North at university. Obviously, Smith coming in slightly later on. But at the time, English and Lloyd were care workers Wooler was working in telesales and TQ's a qualified GP. Awesome. And I quote, it's quite handy, says Smith. He once took the stitches out of our tour manager's back. <laughs> That's cool. I, I, I love that when you just get a band who are slightly disparate and they kind of all crunch together and it works. That's That's brilliant. Yeah. And then how they got discovered is, I guess, fairly classic. So they were touring a lot in tiny venues and playing a lot in Newcastle. And then they played at Notting Hill Arts Club in a night hosted by Creation Records founder Alan McGee. And I used to go to those from time to time and see random tiny bands there. And so they got signed off the back of that, which I think is pretty cool, by Steve Beckett of Warp Records, who are mostly dance electronica. But I think he'd been involved in signing Pulp many years ago. Yeah. So that, that might be where his more guitarsy band love comes from. You you accuse them of being part of the landfill indie. I think the difference is that they're more art rock, they're more angular and edgy compared to a lot of the other bands that were around at the time. Yeah. And I do think there's a joy to this album. Yeah, I guess I guess you're right there. I think they are they're less radio friendly. They create very listenable songs, but they're not they're not like, oh God, who are the lot that did Ruby Kaiser Chiefs? Yeah, they're not like them who right. are kind of just overtly trying to get radio play. I have an issue with the Kaiser Chiefs, <laughs> apart from the fact they're just dreadful. <laughs> Their songwriting technique, I read an, read an interview or heard something from them years ago where they basically said they would come up with a catchy sounding chorus, repeat it four times, then write a load of nonsense around it. And that was how they wrote songs. I, I can't get over my disappointment of hearing Ruby with the verse, which actually is really, really good. Right. And then they just throw it all away with a terrible chorus. The intro to Ruby is fantastic. And you're like, oh my God, they finally written something great. Uh, uh, oh, no. Yeah. Failed. Anyway, <laughs> let's, let's, let, we don't like being nasty to bands. Let's, um, let's go Except back. the Kaiser Chiefs. <laughs> I'll make an exception for them. I had a look for influences for them as a band because I was intrigued to see where exactly because there'd been multiple waves of english indie bands at this point and so they talk about xtc smashing pumpkins and the cure was an interesting one so they feel like they're more influenced by american bands than other english indie bands were at the time and then the jam and the jam is for me probably the most clear sound in terms of their stuff i didn't know xtc well but they're mentioned in a few articles and when i went and had a listen there are tracks like helicopter and red where you can hear it's a more punky style mm -hmm. than this but you can hear echoes of that but you think about the jams town called malice and things like that that's yeah absolutely something that you can hear in this that's really i've, I've never connected the two and there really is a connection there 
Mm-hmm. It's a great shout. I've not thought about that. Good one. The keyboards in this, it's that keyboard sound that you can hear in their music and also in the jams music. For me, that's one of the biggest connections. Yeah. And I think some of the things that people say about them is potentially not completely unfounded what they do with their instruments is not massively groundbreaking or complex and i don't mean that as an insult they're very competent musicians what sets them apart for me is what they do within the track so they have all these shifts which drive that urgency they'll shift keys they'll shift time signatures they'll shift tempos they'll layer in more vocals or instruments they never let anything settle in a song they're always pushing things forward and always pushing you to the next part of the song there's someone else that does this like that but better and i'm not trying to compare the two but it's a similar kind of style in the the way that david bowie writes his songs when you're listening to bowie Bowie's on another scale. We, we, we need to do Bowie at some point. <laughs> I um, bristled when you said, but better. And then he said Bowie and I went, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he does that a lot. He does a lot of songwriting where you kind of expect one thing and he'll give you a, a totally different chord. It's like, oh, that works. Mm-hmm. And to a lesser extent, uh, but still done very well, Maximo Park do that a few times. Now, I, I, I don't want people writing stuff saying, oh, you're comparing <laughs> Maximo Park to Bowie. I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying that the way that they write music in that they don't try and just go down that normal, straightforward songwriting songbook, pop by numbers. It, it, that's what they try and do. Yeah, and so much of indie was indie rock by numbers at this point in time. There wasn't anything interesting in that music, and that was my issue with that mid noughties indie. And there's a very small handful of bands that I still listen to from that time. Maximo Parker, one of them. Yeah. Smith talks about this quite nicely. He says... I have a lot of ideas about how to present the band. Some indie bands play it down, but I want to be an exaggerated version of myself. I'm trying to entertain people. It doesn't draw away from the impact of the songs as emotional vehicles. There's a transformative aspect to the songs. They're hopeful rather than stuck in one man's emotional mire. I'm a servant of the music and I've got no self-confidence outside of that, which I thought was really interesting to admit that as a front man, you're always expected to project this huge amount of confidence and be like the guy, but to be able to say that person on stage, that's the confident version of myself and I'm not that when I'm off stage. I'm actually, you've just surprised me because I just created this impression of a guy who off stage is brash and confident and then yeah. he's not that, that's really interesting. He also talks about the lyrics. So apparently, lyrically, he's been influenced by alt-country acts, so Smog and Bonnie Prince Billy, neither of which I really know. But he talks about the fact that they paint a lyrical picture. It can be poetic, but it is stark. They're not afraid to write something quite brutal. A lot of pop music is about creating an image. I don't mind glossing over things with the way we look, but the lyrics have to be honest. I'm not afraid. I'm not frightened about showing my own faults in a song. And that, I think, might be another thing that, I love about this is lyrically this stuff tells stories yeah it's a bit more than just oh we wrote some lyrics because they sound good I used to be a big old fan of Bonnie Prince Billy I had a little phase of it okay quite difficult to get into but really interesting work it's worth a listen Ruben and Cherise is probably his, his most famous work give it a go it's lyrically really interesting and I feel like if I'd known about them at the time, I really would have got into it, but worth a listen. Yeah, fair enough. Again, some of the interviews that I read, they talk about the indie scene at the time that you touched on. 
and they said they weren't particularly fashion conscious they weren't particularly interested in being perceived as peculiarly british they were more into american music as a songwriting base and i think you hear that more maybe in the second album onwards rather than the first one yeah i agree yep so let's jump into the album yes what's the first track if you wanted to get an impression of maximo park what track would you make people listen to first the first track (laughs) (laughs) i think signal and sign really gives you a good indication of whether you'll like these guys if you don't like this you're probably not going to enjoy the album it fades in for starters who the, who the hell fades into a song anymore yeah it fades in to an opening track and fades in a drum riff as well it's not like there's other stuff going on there you then get electric guitar bass and keys this is again not complex but how they shift and flow in the sound is really key for this stuff yep and then you jump into one of the best songs in this album, possibly one of the best songs ever written, which is Apply Some Pressure. Yeah, that is, for me, is one of their, it is one of their biggest hits. And it's just got that energy that, you know, you just associate with Maximo Park. This is only three minutes and 20 seconds long. Well, I was going to comment on I that. Don't, yeah, I don't understand how it can possibly be that short because so much happens in those three minutes and 20 seconds. There's, again big drums and guitar riff opening it and the lyrics in here are great you know that i would love to see you next year i hope that i'm still alive next year you magnify the way i think about myself before you came i really thought about myself these little taking a thread and then just flipping it and then flipping it again and then flipping it again and flipping it again i love the way it tumbles through the song in that way the album has 13 songs on it and it's under 40 minutes which is kind of mind-blowing to me because if you had said how long is this album, I'd go, oh, 50 minutes plus, big old album. There's lots of stuff in there. It's like a really tightly packed box. So uh, yeah, I was surprised they're all so short. I think that might, again, be one of the things that sets them apart a bit is they never get mired in a song. They never get tempted to make something epic. It's always yep. just do the thing, do the thing, do the thing, move on, bam, done, next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that flip out the chorus in this is brilliant. So it's all spiky and then suddenly it fires off at full speed into what happens when you lose everything, you just start again and then screeches back to a halt of spikiness. You're right. It's kind of a speed change, isn't it? The tempo stays the same, but your your brain kind of lights up when you hear the chorus and then they try and slow you down again it's quite clever i think it's a key change yeah it is i'm not sure whether it's that or a time signature change or what but there's something that happens that just launches you forward into that next bit of the song the final time they do that they start layering in more and more vocals and instruments and really build this sense of urgency and then just end the song yeah and that's classic maximo park and um that's why i think they they d- developed a pretty big reputation pretty quickly because this album was mm-hmm. was well received just because of that. Oh, yeah. What other songs are you calling out? Very briefly, I'm going to touch on graffiti purely for the line, I'll do graffiti if you'll sing to me in French, what are we doing here if romance isn't dead? <laughs> That's excellent. It's very evocative in a, in a very cynical way. Yeah. I have to talk about Limassol. Mm-hmm. That big, fat, aggressive synth loop that opens this feels like there's more of a sense of paranoia in this track so a bit more like the block party thing there's an edginess and the shifts in this track are sort of uncomfortable it's like you've dropped off the edge of the song by accident yeah and and i found that but it's it's not abrupt in the way that 
you don't suddenly think, oh, hang on, where's it gone? And you get cross with that, if that makes sense. Because some, some bands have a, a knack of finishing a song too early and it sounds forced and it sounds a bit wrong, whereas they 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 wrap it up very nicely. There's a moment in here where all the guitars and keys all collide in this atonal crescendo that's almost like an alarm going off in the middle of the track, and I love that. And again, they do these tempo and key changes here that just really work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The next one I'm going to jump into is Once a Glimpse. So this is another more paranoid track in which Paul Smith confesses, I don't remember why I started speaking in the opening lines. This one starts low energy, but again we get ambushed with a sudden shift into the chorus with a wailing Smith bemoaning discarded traces of a love I never had and another one that is a brilliant stop where it, it just stops. He He's good about wailing about loves that he never had. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite a, a recurring theme with Maximo Park. Well, he talked about this album in one of the interviews that I think I listened to where he talked about the fact that he basically just pulled on good and bad bits of relationships for this album and that's the stuff that he wrote about. Write what you know, this was just stuff that felt good. And some of it is positive. Some of it's about positive love. But for some reason, I don't know why, maybe this is a subconscious thing, I am drawn to the tracks that are more about shit that goes wrong. Yeah, and I, I do like the way that while their music is quite full on, they don't have this swagger that a lot of the other bands from around that time have, which lyrics like that, if you had our beloved Kaiser Chiefs involved, (laughs) would probably just sound a little bit over the top. Whereas these guys do just play it a little bit more. It's more subdued than that. Yeah. I want to talk about Acrobat because I absolutely adore this track. This might be one of my favourite songs that they've ever written it's a total change of pace from everything around it it sounds like it might have been on a film soundtrack specifically i always think it should be on lost in translation even though it isn't it's quite shoegazy isn't it Mm -hmm. it's got that kind of very um well it's quite tender Mm -hmm. and it's a little bit unexpected which is great i love i love bands that can drop into a different style of music and make something that fits in yeah and i love the is it harmonica, I think, with a reverb on it that opens the whole thing up? And this beautiful, gentle drum beat that kind of guides you through it. But it's spoken word, except in the chorus here, which is somewhat unusual. And it's really emotional. It sounds really raw the way he does it. So lyrics like, we knew each other once. This can't be what you want. You didn't have to demolish me. I don't remember losing sight of your needs. And just that dying relationship feel they're a band who you kind of empathize with in a way that i listen to him singing and i kind of feel sorry for him (laughs) (laughs) and and, and a lot of these these songs i I don't know whether they're based on fact or whether he's just um creating a story but but all the way through when he's singing about these lost loves i think of them in that situation whereas sometimes you get an artist who will sing something and you put yourself in the picture Mm -hmm. but with maximo park you kind of feel like this is the front man who's going through all this stuff and it's like oh buddy (laughs) have a beer with you and just give you a hug yeah yeah i can see that this for me shows real maturity where the other stuff is mostly a young excitable band who are discovering their sound this has so much more like I say, maturity to it. The use of the music, the swell that supports the emotion in the song is fantastic. It's the one song that doesn't 
ever use any of their little tricks around shifting and flipping things to to keep the listener engaged it just is a beautiful track yeah i wonder whether it's enhanced by its company the fact that you've got all this other very high energy very shifty brilliant bits of edginess and all that kind of stuff around it almost enhances this because it's this moment where the whole album just breathes yeah i think that's a good shout it definitely adds to the album it's kind of one of those some of its parts things where it improves other songs as well as itself yeah i think it has more heft just because of its surroundings i'm gonna finish on kiss you better because it's lovely to finish the album on a positive upbeat note yeah that's his style right you go through all this trauma and then at the end there's a nice happy song at the end well done (laughs) yeah absolutely we should talk about some other albums as well particularly the next album yeah so i i bought our earthly pleasures off the back of hearing a few songs on on the first one and i'm kind of hooked it's interesting that you say it's um more american i think it's um i think it's gil norton the pixies yep producer who i think gives that more american sound i I, that's just a an impression i have i I know this album better what do you think of it well first off you are absolutely correct in your instincts they literally have said they wanted a more american sound he brought that more american sound and that's why they work together on this okay there's very specific want to do that i really love it but I think its strength is in the first three songs. So Girls Who Play Guitars is great. It's a really nice evolution of what came before. And Our Velocity is the same. Those guitars and keyboards that race along at a breakneck pace. Books from Boxes has a bit more of an evolution to a, a, a slightly different sound. I've compared this to Frightened Rabbit those gorgeous melodies and the the fragile verses feels a bit frightened rabbits to me yeah i i could play our velocity over and over again love it yeah but you're right it does it doesn't have the staying power of the first album i just don't think the rest of the album has the same level of punchiness to it and i don't think it's bad i don't think there are terrible songs i'm not necessarily I wouldn't I wouldn't say oh it's not worth listening to it's a it's a fun album but it just it doesn't have that song after song after song hook yeah. that the first album does. Yep. The next two albums I sort of heard bits from it but nothing really stuck and then I just lost track of them. Yeah. Well, I was going to say I'd lost track of them until recently. Have you heard Nature Always Wins? I was going to say the fact that they've released an album this year yeah Has it just come out i haven't had a proper listen to it so i can't give a fully formed opinion but what i've heard i think is better than the previous couple it it sounds like they've just um they've taken a kind of anti-aging pill and they've gone back into their full-on full-powered maximo park of old oh good and i don't know whether that's come out of lockdown and they've just been cooped up in a house for too long and they've just got some energy back but it's really really good i heard it and it was like this is this is a good album so it's worth checking out if you've um you've got some time nice yeah i am gonna have more of a listen to it so it might it might pop up on a hidden track if we like it we'll feature it good chat what about um live you ever bumped into them at a live setting so i was thinking about this and i for a while thought that maybe i hadn't i had this 
sneaking thing in the back of my mind that I'd seen them somewhere. And then I saw a picture of Smith in a suit and was like, oh my God, I've seen that man sweating through every pore of his body on stage wearing a dark blue shirt and literally just drenching it throughout a set. So yes, I've seen them live. I remember it being brilliant and I cannot for the life of me remember where. And I don't think it was a big venue either. I think it would have been, you know, like uh, Bristol Anson room sized rather than O2 Academy. It's kind of funny that you said that because I've just been spending the last five minutes trawling through my email inbox and <laughs> just or any anything that can show me where I've seen them because I'm sure I have. And I've right. just got this image of going to a Maximo Park gig. But I just can't. I can't work out what happened. I can't work out where it was, if it was at a festival or a gig venue. I just don't know. But I'm sure I've seen them, and I'm sure I enjoyed it as one of those kind of, <laughs> that was a good gig. Because yeah. if it was a brilliant gig, I wouldn't remember. And if it was a shit gig, I would remember. But yeah. I think it was just a good gig. And I def- I've, I've seen them, but I just cannot remember for the life of me where. I wonder whether we saw them together, but I don't think... It was. No. I think I went to see them with either Cy Young or Max or possibly both at some point in London. I think I saw them in London separately. I don't know. I don't know. But I've got this memory of, <laughs> of a very energetic, fun gig. Yeah, same here. Exactly the same. Just bouncing around, enjoying it. But it, it wasn't life-changing as, as a gig. It was just a lot of fun. And they bring huge amounts of energy, which is They've said this about their live sets. They want everyone to have an amazing time. They want to leave everything out there and be exhausted at the end of it. Yeah. What about influences? Have they set you down any musical paths? Uh, I don't think so. I think as much as anything, this is just an album that's come with me through the years and that I've listened to time and time again and kept going back to as as a, a companion and a friend yeah so that that's how i think of this one that's why it's an important album for me yeah what about you um our earthly pleasures I, I bought that it was the first album i purchased when i'd moved into my new flat in london i think really i've got this kind of moving in is is basically have this on in the background so that memory is just kind of captured in time with a maximo park soundtrack for for good or for worse but yeah it's a good high energy unpacking album yeah exactly i think we actually were you were in the same place as me when i bought it because i think it was a fop trip okay and that's where i got it but yeah they they do have a, a kind of part of my my life kind of went into them because of that nice love that cool that'll do us for this week i reckon yeah good shout and i'm glad we just uh killed a bit of a myth about them being landfill India. I think there may be comments. I think Neil will be chipping in, going, what a load of rubbish. I don't think Neil's a Maximo Park fan, I'm guessing. I don't know. I feel like this one's a 50-50 where he'll either be like, oh yeah, yeah love love them, seen them live, think they're great, or absolutely can't stand them and wants nothing to do with them. So, Neil, tell us what you think. Yeah. I'm sure he'll probably tell us what he thinks before he even listens to the episode. Yes, yeah, exactly. Let's see. I, I'm going for meh. <laughs> a shrug of the shoulders and a, bring something okay. better next time Interesting. That's, that's where that's that's where i'm heading but let's see well I, I don't care neil hating something is not a reason for me to think that it's bad yeah <laughs> cool good good okay well well done for bringing them to the table and uh we will catch up again soon cheers if you want to come and talk to us and tell neil 
whether he's right or wrong uh you can find us on all social media we are i might be wrong uk on facebook twitter instagram come and chat to us there perfect thanks for joining us this week folks thank you cheers, cheers. Thank you for listening to another episode of I Might Be Wrong.